0: Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 323. On the Climate Report, we explore how to solve the problem of climate change. This includes the true nature of the problem and the true nature of the solutions. Today's topic is water and climate. Uh, The big idea is that climate change is, in my humble view, misunderstood. It is not strictly a function of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. It's not strictly a function of how much greenhouse gases we have. That, that's part of it. What's in the atmosphere is part of it, but what we do to the land is a big part of it. And what we do to the land affects ecosystems and water cycles. And I'm of the opinion that water cycles and ecosystems, are a big part of climate change. They're a big part of the problem and a big part of the solution. If you want to read more about this, a good book is Water in Plain Sight by Judith Schwartz. Another good one is by Michael Kravchik, M-I-C-H-A-L Kravchik, K-R-A-V-C-I-C and the title of that one is Water for the Recovery of Climate, The New water paradigm. So let's look at an article in Inside Climate News. This is from January 28, 2022 by Georgina Gustin. The title of the article is, Increased Flooding and Droughts linked to climate change have sent crop insurance payouts skyrocketing. So what they're getting at here is that climate change, which is understood to be increases in global average temperatures caused by greenhouse gases, are causing extreme weather conditions, including floods and droughts. And of course, floods and droughts cause crop failure. Farmers have crop insurance, and they pay premiums on the crop insurance, but it's also subsidized, in my understanding, by the federal government. So it's kind of a bargain to get crop insurance. But the premiums are tied to the payouts, and the payouts are going up, and therefore the premiums are going up. So the subtitle of the article is, Alarmed by the ballooning Costs. Environmentalists and other critics also say crop insurance discourages farmers from adapting to a rapidly warming planet. That part is true. The article starts, as climate change drives more droughts, rain, and extreme weather across American farmland, the cost of insuring the country's farmers has soared, putting taxpayers increasingly on the hook for the growing tab. It says a new analysis based on government data finds that insurance payments to farmers have risen more than 400 percent for drought related losses and nearly 300 percent for losses from rains and flooding from 1995 to 2020. So the idea implicit in this article is that climate change is caused by increased CO2 and no doubt it is to some extent I just don't think it's the biggest part of the picture. Greenhouse gases control a certain amount of the heat dynamics of the earth but water controls a great deal more of the heat dynamics of the earth so I'm of the admittedly minority opinion but I'm of the opinion that restoring water cycles and ecosystems will have a great deal more impact not only on the climate in terms of global average temperatures but also on the weather extremes that we associate with climate change. Those weather extremes include floods and droughts. So clearly drought is caused by climate change. It's just a question of, you know, what do we do about it? And it's also a question of, are we to understand climate change to only be greenhouse gases or are we understand it to be greenhouse gases plus what we do to the land, including deforestation, including, you know, Soil, you know, doing bad things to the soil and also including leaving the soil bare. Much of the cropland for much of the year is just bare dirt, and that is a hot plate that, you know, does bad things to the climate and doesn't do good things to the climate. So it does say here that, okay, so why are these crop insurance premiums going up? Why are the crop insurance payouts going up? And the article laments that, hey, taxpayers are on the hook when farmers plant environmentally damaging crops. In other words, the crop insurance is almost exclusively for commodities like corn, soy, rice wheat, oats, and commodity crops are planted in monocultures. Monocultures are by definition where you don't have very much diversity. A monoculture refers to you know, crops that are just corn as far as the eye can see or soybeans as far as the eye can see. Just one thing primarily one thing, no animals in that picture, there's not a diversity of plants or trees in that picture. So crop insurance subsidizes monocultures by subsidizing the production of commodities. So the article says... Crop Insurance encourages farmers to plant environmentally damaging crops year after year driving erosion across the fertile soils of the Midwest, increasing the use of polluting fertilizers and unleashing soil carbon. They say the program has effectively covered up the financial risk farmers face from climate change and the risks to the broader food supply. So what they're saying here is true as far as it goes, but what, what are they not telling you? I mean it's true that fertilizers pollute, but it's also true that fertilizers are a tremendous source of greenhouse gases. Nitrogen fertilizers require lots and lots of natural gas in the process of fixing the nitrogen into a chemical compound that is then used on crops. It need not be done that way. We can farm in a way that does not require chemical nitrogen. I mean, every acre has something like, you know, 70,000 tons of nitrogen above it, in the air, because the air we breathe is 78% nitrogen. So, you know, we need to employ biological processes to fix that nitrogen so that it's available for the plants we need to grow. Another thing it talks about here is erosion. Yes, erosion is bad. Erosion is, by definition, a loss of valuable topsoil, and and erosion is bad, but erosion is also largely optional. We could be farming in such a way as to minimize tillage, which kills the soil, turns the soil into powder, which is easily eroded by rain. It's also that system of farming that, plows every year and uses chemical fertilizers that turns the soil into a hot plate. If you have a field that grows corn, well, corn only grows for a few months a year, and the rest of the year, that soil is bare. They usually don't plant it with cover crops. They could, but usually not. So, in this article where they talk about erosion, there's just a, an, an abundance of issues. Right in the very word erosion, there's an abundance of issues that they're just glossing over and not talking about. So, I would assert that in this article, they're not talking about, the, they're, they're not clearly defining the true nature of the problem of climate change or the true nature of the solutions. If they spelled that out too clearly then they would be drawing attention to solutions that would be harmful to the profits of big businesses such as the agrochemical businesses, the ones that produce the fertilizers, the chemical fertilizers, the ones that produce chemical pesticides, the ones that produce the heavy equipment, so a publication like this kind of has to go easy and they can't be too clear on the nature of the problem or the nature of the solutions. The solutions to this, for one thing, a lot of farmers say, look, we would be better off without the crop insurance. You know, if, if farmers didn't have the crop insurance, then they wouldn't have an artificial incentive to produce commodities, and to plow, and to use chemical fertilizers, and to use chemical pesticides. And if you take away those artificial incentives, then more farmers would go to a more resilient form of raising crops, where you have biologically diverse farms with a variety of animals, a variety of plants and trees which are inherently less expensive to the environment, uh, less toxic to consumers. So that's what we really need to get to, biologically diverse farms that are inherently resilient and produce more nutrition as opposed to these commodities which some of them are not even supposed to be human food. Uh, You've got corn for ethanol, which is not even food. Then you've got corn and uh, soy that's used for animal feed. And then you've got corn that is just kind of distilled and processed into food additives like high fructose corn syrup. So a lot of our farmland is not even growing food. But let's get back to today's topic which is Hart's big ideas for harnessing the power of water. We're talking about water and climate and I tell you, not five or 10% of climate activists have heard about this. I was reporting on climate for nearly three years before I heard anything about the new water paradigm or the power of water to cool the climate so this is a minority view. It's not a view that you're going to hear in very many places. But hear me out. Let's see where this goes. So Hart's big ideas for harnessing the power of water. I'll see how many I can get through here. Number one, you know, what problems can water help us solve? So water can help us solve climate change by cooling temperatures, because every gram of water, when it evaporates, has a cooling effect. Every liter of water when it evaporates has a cooling effect. And this this cooling effect is such that it lowers surface temperatures and when we lower surface temperatures we diminish the greenhouse effect. And you know, for example, one way to lower surface temperatures is to have plant matter on the ground. Plant matter can include trees, but it can also include, you know, grass, more likely bushes, Having an abundance of plant matter means more water is being transpired. More water is evaporating and that has a cooling effect. Another problem that water can help us solve is biodiversity. Everything needs water. Water is life. If we have water, then we have the basis for life. Every Forest. every tree, every plant is a reservoir of water. When we do too much mowing, too much clearing, too much cutting, then what we're doing is eliminating a reservoir for water. We don't need to do that. We need to keep those reservoirs for water. Plants are reservoirs for water. Another problem that water can help us solve is food production. When you're a good steward, of your water, when you harvest your rainwater, when you let the rainwater soak into the plants and the trees and the soil, then you're doing your part for greater food production, especially if it's a farm, but even over an entire region. Whatever water we can harvest is good for food production. Another problem water can help us solve is microclimates. Whenever we are good stewards of our water, like through having trees, you know, a tree has a cooling effect. And that creates a little microclimate. If we had more of those cool microclimates we wouldn't have as much of these urban heat islands. So we have the power to create microclimates and that is a problem that water can help us solve. Item number two in Hart's big ideas for harnessing the power of water Greenhouse gases are not the only factor in climate change. Land use is a factor in climate change. The climate is, an, you know, the global average temperatures are just that. They are an average of temperatures all around the globe. In the new water paradigm, we believe that what we do to the land affects temperatures. It certainly affects local temperatures when we have less trees our local temperatures are warmer when there's less plant matter on the ground our local temperatures are warmer when the soil is not absorbing very much rainwater because it's poor soil then we're going to have warmer local temperatures so what we're talking about is land use what we do to the land affects temperatures it's not just greenhouse gases. I'm I'm all for reducing carbon dioxide, but that is a longer term project. It's going to take decades, in the best case scenario, it's going to take decades to reduce the amount of carbon in the atmosphere. And we need to do that, but greenhouse gases are not the only factor in climate change. When the sun shines, is it going to shine on a hot plate or a solar-powered air conditioner? If the sun shines on pavement or bare dirt, it is shining on a solar-powered hot plate. When it shines on a forest or even a plant, then it's shining on a solar-powered air conditioner. That's land use. What we do to the land affects local temperatures and also global average temperatures. Item number three in Hart's Big Ideas, understand the cooling power of water. Water cools when it evaporates. Uh, When a liter of water evaporates, that requires something on the order of 540 calories also known as kilocalories. It takes a lot of energy to make that water evaporate and it has a cooling effect. It changes the water from sensible heat, in other words, heat you can feel. It changes it from sensible heat into latent heat, which is more of a motion energy that you can't feel. Item number four in Hart's Big Ideas for Harnessing the Power of Water. Understand the role of plants. So what is a plant? A plant is a reservoir of water where we're way too busy mowing, cutting, deforesting, clearing. We're way too busy with that. We need to let more plants and trees grow so that we can capture, so that we can let trees and plants capture water. So understand the role of plants as a reservoir of water. Understand the role of plants in transpiring water, which has that cooling effect. This has the effect of preventing drought because if you have enough plants that are absorbing water and holding water and transpiring water, then this contributes to the water cycles. If you have enough additional plants, especially forests in a given area, then there's going to be more rainfall and the rainfall that you have is going to be more routine and gentler. This is how plants can go far to restore our water cycles. Meaning plants and trees, if there's in enough abundance then you'll have an increased precipitation in a given geographic area. And another benefit of plants is understand, under understanding the role of plants. Another benefit is that you temper weather extremes. We have weather extremes such as droughts and floods, largely because we have removed so much of our plant matter through deforestation, through excessive mowing, through the wrong kind of agriculture. And therefore, you know, you're gonna have floods. When, when you deforest, that increases flooding. When you mow too much, that increases flooding. When your farms uh, don't capture very much of the rainfall, then that's going to cause more flooding. So if we had more plant matter to capture the water, we would have less flooding. Also under weather extremes, you have drought. So drought is, among other things, it's an, abs- it's an, yes, it's an absence of rainfall, but also drought is caused when the ground does not capture very much of the rainfall. We need to work toward having healthy soils so that the rainfall soaks into the ground. That's called infiltration. And, you know, when it rains, if you can, you know, some soil is so healthy that you might have an extreme rainfall, like a foot of rain in 24 hours. it it happens and if you but if your soil is good then the soil absorbs that rainfall and that's going to prevent flooding it's also going to prevent drought because drought is not just a function of how much rain you get drought is a function of how much rain you keep so if you have healthy soil that can absorb and hold that water then you're going to have an extended period of green growth, which means there's going to be more time in between rainfalls that your plants can continue to not only survive, but thrive. So, item number five under Hart's Big Ideas for Harnessing the Power of Water is uh, understand weather extremes and how to tame them. So having more plant matter, healthier soils, and some strategically designed earthworks, such as swales and berms and dams and terracing, this can help you soak water into the ground so that there's more water for plants, plants transpire more water, plants grow longer in between rainfalls. If you're able to harvest that rainwater, and all of this serves to temper weather extremes such as droughts and floods. Item number six in Hart's big ideas for uh, you know, utilizing the power of water is to help plants grow. We just need to mow less and we need to cut less and we need to deforest less. We need to let our grass grow taller. We need to let trees grow within our grass instead of always cutting them down. I don't know about where you live, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, and I can tell you, every acre, every growing season, there are hundreds of trees, that try, tree seedlings, that try to grow. Hundreds of seedlings per acre will try to grow if we do not mow them down. And most of the trees that try to grow are good native trees like maples and oaks and hackberries and and sycamores and catalpas i've just named the tree seedlings that are trying to grow in my modest and small backyard trees want to grow and we can you know help trees grow and that's good because it doesn't cost anything it's a good it's going to be a good healthy tree if we just don't mow it down you can't do that for all the trees that grow but we can do it for a lot more than we do if we lose our fascination with a clean-cut lawn which is ecologically is really not very good at all item number seven we need to nurture ecosystems so Yeah, I've been talking about plants, but plants are best when they're diverse and they're growing within ecosystems. When we have a diversity of native trees, when we have a diversity of native bushes, when we let the grass grow taller, when we have a diversity of native wildflowers. All this provides places for the pollinators, places for birds, Places for bees, butterflies, birds, small mammals um, and, and amid all that if you have healthy soil then you can have a, a, a diverse ecosystem in the soil that has worms and grubs and beetles and ants and the things that you know, make for a good healthy soil ecosystem. Item number eight in the big ideas is change our farming system. We need to get our food from biologically diverse farms, mostly local farms. Farms that have some claim to being regenerative. Because mostly our industrial agriculture system is degenerative. Item number nine on the big ideas to harness the power of water is to nurture healthy soils. Mainly, we nurture healthy soils by avoiding tillage, avoiding chemicals, by having living roots in the ground at all times, by having a diversity of plants growing in the ground, uh, by laying off any chemical insecticides, aka biocides. Healthy soils are going to help us harness the power of water. Item number 10 is a whole other topic, but livestock and grazing. Livestock and grazing, when done strategically, when done well, when done holistically, is a benefit, a blessing, and a boon to our local ecosystems, to the soil-based carbon. There's a lot of talk today about a plant-based diet, as if that is better. I don't see, I, I don't agree with that at all. It's not the cow, it's the how. It's not the mere fact of having livestock. It is how that livestock is raised. Is it raised as part of an ecosystem or not? I've got about another 30 seconds. Let me just wrap it up. So what we've been talking about is greenhouse gases are not the only factor in climate change. Water and water cycles and ecosystems and plants are a big factor in climate change. They're a big factor in the problems and they're a big factor in the solutions. We need to understand that water, water cycles, and ecosystems are a big part of the solution to a healthy climate. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much for joining me.